You guys be seated. If you have a Bible, and you would open it to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. If you're new to Crossroad, we are going through the book of Romans. And tonight we cover one verse. That's how slow we go. Romans chapter 3. We are in a three-part series dealing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the Bible about? What is life about? What does Christ say life is about? The name of the series is Dikaiosene Theo. Now, if you're new to Crossroad, you're going, what does that mean? I have no idea. But if you've been to Crossroad, you know what it means. It means the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Or, what does God require of a human being in order that that human being can stand before him? In our vernacular, how do you go to heaven? How do you go to heaven? How does a person stand before God? You must be righteous. The Apostle Paul, in writing the book of Romans, begins in, in writing his treatise on how does a person stand before God and begins by saying there's one problem. Everyone is sinful. There is no one who stands before God correctly. That is Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 3, verse 20. A big, long treatise that condemns the entire world of sin. It talks about Jews, it talks about Gentiles, it talks about men, it talks about women, it talks about every person who has ever lived in any place, in any time, has sinned before God. Every person. Uh, in verse 23 of Romans 3, Romans 3, 23, Paul summarizes that with one of the most famous verses of Scripture that most of us have memorized. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is a one sentence encapsulation of the entire previous argument in the book of Romans. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Unfortunately, English is not able to capture the true meaning of what Paul said. Let's leave that up there. Let's leave the verses up. So the true meaning of the fullness of this verse is really seen in Greek by how you conjugate the verbs. The first thing is this. For all have sinned. That's past tense. Okay? That is a past tense Greek verb. And they use past tense here. It means sin. It means you have fallen short of the standard. You have done things. I have done things that we knew were wrong. Knew it was wrong to kill somebody. You did it anyway. Okay? Didn't care, you enjoyed it or were getting paid, I don't know what your deal was, but you're all murderers, right? Everyone here, you burned down the Weigels. You knew it was wrong to burn the Weigels down, it just looked like fun, okay? Let's all be honest, all right? You are the one that sold the kitty crack, okay? You're the one who got the kitty hooked on crack, and now the kitty's running around scratching people, okay? You knew it was wrong, you did it anyway. Have sin, past tense. But in the Greek, this is where it really departs from how we understand in English. It says, and fall short of the glory of God. Now, fall short is one Greek word, and it is conjugated in a future progressive tense, which means you are falling short and will forever fall short. It's a future conjugated verb, meaning you have sinned in the past, That has been done. You know it. I know it. God knows it. And you will continue to fall short. The verse should say, for all have sinned and will forever fall short the glory of God. That's the conjugation here. That humanity finds itself in a state of being where we have sinned against God and we will continue to sin against God forever. Now, if you were with us last week, we saw Romans 3.21, which says, but... 
Now, a righteousness from God has been made known. But now, a dikaiosenetheo has been made known. Meaning, there is a way for us to stand right before God. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there is a way that God has prepared for those who will receive it. Last week we talked about how do you receive this righteousness from God. Well, first thing is through faith. That was last week. Through faith. It says that the righteous will live by faith. We understand that. But how is that faith possible? Romans 3, 24, in my opinion, and this is my humble opinion, you don't have to believe this, you are free to be as wrong as you want to be. But in my opinion, Romans 3, 24 is the most important verse in the whole Bible. It's telling to me that many people have memorized Romans 3, 23, but have no idea what Romans 3.24 says. Everybody goes, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, what's Romans 3.24 says? And people go, I don't know. So people are looking right now going, I can tell you. Hang on a minute. We'll read it. Okay. Now, it depends on what translation of the Bible you have. It reads differently in different translations, but that we're going to go through it step by step because it is the most important verse in the whole Bible, in my opinion. If the Bible were a mountain range, and it began in the lowlands of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and built up through the kings and was heading toward the mountain range... Romans chapter 3 would be Mount Everest, and Romans 3.24 would be the top rock. This is as high as it gets. If you understand Romans 3.24, which we'll talk about this week and next week, you understand Christianity. Romans 3.24 in the English Standard Version reads like this. If you have, most of you probably have NIV. That's okay. I'll talk about it in NIV. It says this, And are justified by His grace as a gift. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if you have an NIV Bible, it says, and are justified freely by his grace. Okay. Uh, The NIV translator chose to take the word for gift and what that word gift means in Greek and use it freely. That's okay. We're going to talk about that. But if you are reading an NIV Bible and you read freely and you're going, I didn't say anything about a gift. Do I get a present? Where's my present? Is it a car? Okay, no, it's not a car. But that is the word that we're going to be talking about a lot tonight. There are four words in this verse you have to understand to be a Christian. Four words you must understand to be a Christian. Okay? They are justified, grace, gift, and redemption. You must understand those four words to be a Christian. If you do not understand those four words, you are not a Christian. Okay? A three-year-old who becomes a Christian. I don't know if there's any three-year-olds that are Christian. Most of the three-year-olds are just wet in their pants. Okay? But let's say there was a three-year-old out there that was mentally advanced to them, not to just, not only pee in his pants, but to understand the gospel. They would need to be able to say something about these four things. If they couldn't, they're not a Christian. If there's a 70-year-old out there, they also pee their pants. If there's a 70-year-old out there who's been in the church his whole life but cannot say these four things in some way, they are not a Christian. If you are here tonight, been in church your whole life, you went to Sunday school, you're the one who put the felt stuff on the felt board, okay? That was you. You were in Awanas. You were in all that kind of stuff. You plan on getting married with your little halo thing they give you if you're in one of the girls that's in whatever that is. Where they give you those crowns you're supposed to get married in. That's crazy, but okay. You have to understand these four things. Critical, crucial. That's why I've been sending out emails saying, the most important crossroads ever. You got to know these things. The first is this, justified. Then are justified freely, okay? The word justified means this. It is the Greek word dikaiou. Dikaiou. It's the root word of dikaiosene. 
Dikaiosune is the righteousness of God. Dikaio, D-I-K-A-I-O-O, with a little line over it. Dikaio, or you may hear Dikaiou, or whatever. Okay? That's fine. This is the root word of righteousness. What justified means is to be declared right. You are declared right. If you go back to Romans 3, 2, and 1, it says, But now a dikaiosene from God, a righteousness from God, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness comes to faith to all who believe in Jesus Christ. There is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified. They are dikaiosene. Freely. You are declared righteous before God. There are two things you must know about the gospel. Number one, you have sinned. I have sinned. That's why Paul puts the verse in. We have sinned before God. We stand before God in our own actions and we have fallen short. We have missed the mark. Harmarto. That is the Greek word for sin. We have missed the mark, but are declared righteous. You say, those two things are impossible. You can't mess up and miss the mark and be declared righteous. You can't. Those are impossible. Exactly. That is the gospel. It's impossible. It makes no sense on an earthly scale. There's no way this makes sense. How can you miss the mark yet be declared righteous? Righteous. How can you how can you sin yet be declared justified? This is a Greek legal term. The word dikaiou, justified, is the Greek equivalent of not guilty in our courts. This is what they would read. The jury would read if they had juries. I don't know if they had juries or not. But if the judge or whoever was presiding over your trial, if you were back in Paul's time in a Greek trial, if you were acquitted, they would say dikaiou, you are you are justified. You can go. You're free. That's the word. It's a legal phrase. Dikaiu. Now, the important thing that we often get mistaken is we confuse the word justified for the word forgiven. Okay? We confuse the word justified for the word forgiven. Now, are your sins forgiven? Yes, they are. They are forgiven. Absolutely. But forgiven means to just Forget. That means there's no anger associated. There's, you're forgiven. It's all over. They're different words. Are your sins forgiven? Yes, but that is a different sermon. That's a different text. You can read about your sins being forgiven in the Bible. Absolutely. That is not what this means. This is talking about a legal transaction. You are declared righteous before God. You have to understand this because I see so many people who say they are Christians, yet walk before God as guilty as they can feel. God's angry at me. He hates me. God is mad at me because I'm sinning. God's trying to give me acne on my dates. I don't know what I did. And it's because of a lack of understanding of the gospel. You are justified before God. You are declared righteous before him. Meaning God's not mad. How's God mad? You're justified. Wait a minute, Pinkner. Wait a second. Because you mean that I can, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm declared justified before God? Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying I can go do whatever I want to, and I'm still justified before God? Yeah. So you're saying if I go out tonight and murder 50 people, that I'm still justified before God? If you're a Christian, yeah. 
But if you're a Christian, you'll have a new nature inside of you that won't allow you to go kill 50 people. So if you're able to go out and sin all you want to and have no problems doing that, you're not a Christian. So you're not justified. You see, this legal function here is the declaration by God that you are clean, clear, forgiven. Whatever word you want to use, justified. The old Baptist preachers would say, justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. (laughs) And it's important to see that this whole section starts out by saying, But now a righteousness from who? From God has been made known. It's important to note who it is who's doing the justifying. This is not justified by Greg Pinkner Fiat. That doesn't mean I just go, hey, you're cool. All right? It's it's fine. Seriously, don't worry about that sin. Seriously, God and I, we're tight. He told me, cool. All right? It doesn't matter what I say. You cannot be justified by your mama. All right? If you kill somebody, I'm using a lot of killing references tonight. I'm going to stay on that track, okay? If you kill somebody and you show up in court and they have, they have eyewitnesses and fingerprints and DNA and videotape and you on tape recorder saying, this is me shooting this person, okay? I mean, they have you cold. You did it. There's no question you did it. And you're, they, they don't even have a trial because it's a joke, okay? Everybody knows you did it. Even your own lawyer says you did it. Like, your lawyer gets up to present your defense and goes, yeah, totally guilty, okay? Fry this dude, all right? And you go up before the judge, and the judge is about to pronounce sentence on you. Not, not, your, uh, not, not your sentence, but excuse me, about to pronounce judgment on you. About to say, guilty or not guilty. And your mom walks up and goes, in his heart, he's a good boy. You know, something a mom would say. That doesn't matter. The judge is not going to go, oh, really? Well, okay, you're good to go. Your mom vouched for you. Hitler's mom thought he was cool. Right? I mean, Charles Manson's mom probably thought he was cool. And if Charles Manson's in my bedroom with a butcher knife standing over me and his mom's going, he's a good boy, I'm still whooping him. Your mama can't justify you. Now, the Supreme Court can. If your mom's going around going, but she's good in her heart. She's so sweet. Really, if you just got to know her. I know she sets things on fire, but she's so sweet. If you just knew her, the fire thing is just her being lonely. Okay? (laughs) If your mama said that, you're like going, that's no help. But if the Supreme Court goes, we really think you should be free, that's a totally different deal. The President of the United States says, yeah, I'm going to pardon her because really, honestly, we need more fires. Okay? If, if that happened, it, it matters who it is that justifies you. Your mama can't justify Your boyfriend can't justify you. Okay? It has to be someone with the authority over what you have sinned against or, or, or over the law that you have transgressed that has to justify you. And that's why it's important that it is God who does the justifying. It has to be God who says, okay... This is the way I am going to justify you. This is how it is. Why are not all religions right? Why are not all religions roads to God? I know you hear that. That is bull. No one believes that except for Western academics. Okay? Nobody believes that except for American universities and talk shows. All right? You go to the, go to, go to Muslim lands and go, all religions are the same. They'll go, yeah, stab. Okay? No one believes that. 
besides us who just don't want to argue about it because we don't think it's serious enough. That's the truth. The reason that the all roads are roads to God theology in America is taking off is because Christians are wimps and won't say anything about it. Now I don't know why you're you know, not saying that because I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. No one believes that except for us because we just don't want to be, oh, yeah, they'll think I'm a Christian. Okay. It matters who it is who justifies us. And if God says, okay, this is the way you are righteous before me, then there's only one way to be righteous before him. That's why not all religions are correct. They can't be. If God has said, this is the way I'm going to justify you, then another way can't justify you. That's like the President of the United States saying, hey, I'm going to give you a pardon if you can prove to me you didn't do it. And this is what I need. I need these five things to prove you didn't set this fire that killed all these people. And you go, I've got those. Here you go. And he goes, okay. You can't go, I'll buy you an icy, dude. High five. Okay? He's going to go, okay, no, no pardon. Well, he might. He might like it. I mean, come on, seriously. George Bush, he loves ICs, right? He's from Texas. We love ICs, man. We'll do anything for him. But here's the thing. If God says, this is the way I am justifying people, there is no way to be justified outside of that. And that's why it has to be this way. And are justified by his grace, we'll talk about that in a minute, as a gift. If you have the NIV, it's freely. The one word is the Greek word doria. D-O-R-E-A, doria. There are four words in Greek used to mean gift. But this particular word is used for a gift given from a king to a peasant. It it is totally free. There's nothing the peasant could do to earn it. There's no way they deserve it. He just gave them something. They can't pay him back. There's no way they're good enough to deserve it. It is a free gift. Okay, so that's where that freely comes from. It's a free gift. And it is a gift of grace. And that's why tonight we talk about grace. Everything has been a setup for grace. The most used, most misunderstood word in Christianity. Grace. Greek word, charis. C-H-A-R-I-S. Charis. Charis is a description of an action based on a person's personality, characteristics. Charis means that it is a gift given by a giver because of who they are. It is a gift given to someone. It is something that motivates the giver based on nothing other than their own selves. There's nothing in the recipient that motivates them. Nothing in them that deserves it, that motivates. There's nothing in the recipient that deserves the gift. There's nothing in them that compels them other than the nature of the giver. Grace is unmerited favor. Means there is nothing in us that deserved this. There was no reason for God to do this except that he wanted to. That's grace. A total free gift. A doria is a gift of grace. It has to be. There's just it, You can't give anything based on nothing in the person and not be grace. See, we hear grace, and we don't fully get the meaning of it. Uh, the Greek word charis is where we get our English word charity. And that's what it is. It's a gift. It's just, it's just who you are trying to help, okay? 
Now, it, it doesn't really catch the connotation in English because in charity we think, well, they're human beings. They deserve, I mean, everybody deserves to eat. We need to, that, but see, that's not charis really because God doesn't look at humanity in grace and say, but they're human beings and they just need a chance and I just want, I mean, they're so good and they're so Okay, that's not grace. Grace is, I am awesome and I want to show people how awesome I am. So I'm just going to say, people, high five to me. Okay, which sounds so arrogant to us. And it would be if we acted that way. But when God acts that way, it's holy, which is shocking. When people truly understand grace, it blows their concept of God apart. Because most Western churchgoers have been educated to learn that God loves us so much because of who we are. God loves us for us. God loves you so much. He loves you just the way you are, and he doesn't want anything to change. Bull! Has anyone ever read the Bible? I go to youth camp sometime, and I'll listen to the youth preacher go, God loves you. He, don't, he wants you just the way you are. He doesn't want you to change anything. He just wants you to accept his son, Jesus Christ, and be the exact same person because he loves you so much. That dude's going to get struck by lightning. That's bull. And the problem is that probably many of you got saved under that message. It's false. It's not the gospel. It's not true. Anybody ever heard the word repentance? Repentance means to change. If you were saved without repenting, you were never saved. Repentance is a key. Changing is key. God does love us and is calling us while we were sinners, but is calling us to change. You see, we have selected, as I've been saying all semester, a version of God that suits our fancies rather than what the biblical God is. Rather than what the biblical God is, grace is unmerited favor. It means there was nothing we did or have done or will do that made him save us. It was just because he is good and kind and loving. Grace is unmerited favor. And this is why the gospel is different from what many of us think it is, but also why it is more awesome and more amazing than what many of us think it is. Paul puts it more eloquently in Ephesians chapter 2. So we're going to come back to Romans 3. But if you want to flip over to Ephesians chapter 2, you can do that. If you don't want to, we'll put it on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2. Once again, verse 4. Ephesians 2, 4. Once again, another famous verse of Scripture, passage of Scripture. Ephesians 2, 4 says this. But God, being rich in mercy, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated, uh, uh, and raised us up in him. This is God, what God did with us. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, ready for this? This is going to blow your mind apart if you're not ready for this. If you've not been listening. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Ready? Why did he do it? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. See, we have taken God out of the center of the universe, out of the center of the church, out of the center of everything, and put ourselves there. And when I say things like, God saved you so he could show the world how awesome he is, we go, well, that's selfish. 
What about me? That's how infected we are with sin. That is how infected we are with anthrocentrism, human-centeredness, me-centeredness. The universe is either about God or the universe is about us, and there is no comparison of those things. There is none. You cannot reconcile them. Either it's about him or it's about us. And the answer is, it's about him. That so that, yeah, let's, let's continue reading here. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift, Doria, of God. Not a result of work so that no one can boast. Not a result of work so no one can boast. You can go back to Romans chapter 3 now. Pascal, the great mathematician who is also a great Christian theologian, wrote, uh, Grace is needed to turn a person into a saint. And he who doubts this knows neither what a person is or what a saint is. Salvation by grace requires us to understand the helplessness of ourselves, what is called the total depravity of humanity, the inability of humanity to do anything that justifies us before God. It is totally Him. Now you say, okay, Greg, you said this was going to make the gospel better, and right now it doesn't sound better. Right now it sounds like, I don't know, but it sounds not fun. Because the gospel, the salvation that is coming from God to you is by grace, then it rests on His ability and not yours. The gospel rests totally on His ability, not yours. Let's look at Romans chapter 5 to get a better picture of this. Romans 5, verse 15. Romans 5, 15 says this, but the free gift, if anybody can guess what that word is, Doria, right? You're great scholars. You guys, awesome. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, how much more, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. That is a very confusing sentence. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 15 through 21 is one of the most confusing passages of Scripture there is. Because Paul says the exact same thing six different ways, and they're all confusing. All right? Seriously, I think the Holy Spirit should have gone back and gone, let's work on this section a little bit, Paul, okay? Paul must have been getting a beating like that day because he came back going, okay. You know, I mean, I don't know what was going on that day, but something bad. Here's what he's saying, and he says it over and over and over and over and over again, but in different ways. He's saying this. If sin killed everybody, and everybody dies, and everybody sinned, you've got to remember what Paul's been speaking beforehand. If everyone has died from sin, and everyone who's ever died has sinned, and we see universal death, and everybody, if, if one sin was able to do all that, then how much more powerful is one act of grace going to be? If God, and God says, I do not delight in the destruction of the sinner. He says that in the Old Testament. But think about this. God says, I do not delight in destroying the wicked. But how many people, what, what, is, what is the record of death? Like 100 billion and two? Is that like the record of death right there? 
Jesus and Elijah. I mean, that's pretty much it, isn't it? I mean, so if you think, hey, God absolutely punishes sin. Everyone who sins dies. I mean, he does not even play around. He didn't, God is not joking around about this sin equals death thing. That's pretty secure. But if God was so perfect in punishing sin, how much more is he going to do what he loves? Which is be graceful. Think of it this way. None of you in here probably can relate to this yet. I can't. But let's, you, you can understand the terms. When you have a kid, okay? I don't know if there's anybody who has one, maybe two or three of you. I don't have a kid because, well, it's basically a UN treaty that I'm not procreate. But that's a different story. But if I should ever have a kid, let me ask you this. What will I love better? Disciplining that kid, spanking them, or getting them a cool Christmas gift? Spanking them, right? You're all going, Peter, we already know you. Okay, no, but seriously, which one would I really like better? Spanking them. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, let's be honest. Bull whips and super glue. I mean, no, but honestly, obviously any parent besides me is going to love to give their child a gift more than they love to punish them. It's just more fun to give gifts and be the cool dad, right? My gift to my kid is going to be no more whippings for the next 20 minutes, okay? That's my present to them. I'm going to make them a little coupon book. Dad, i got a no whipping coupon. I'm going to be like, all right, better save those. Better save those. Yeah. Oh, tight. That's what this passage is saying to us. If God so stridently punished sin, how much more will he do what he loves? How much more will he do that which he loves? Look down at verse 20 and 21. It says this. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, meaning the law came so sin would increase. Another thing that would blow most people's conceptions of God. God doesn't want sin to increase. Uh, Okay, yeah, let's take this verse out of the Bible then. Because it's just easier to think what we want to think rather than think about, I don't know, the Bible. Okay? Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, what? Grace abounded all the more. So that is, as in sin uh, reigned death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If God so powerfully judged sin, how much more is he going to powerfully work through grace? We are much more convinced of God's power to punish sin than we are in his power of grace. We walk in shame before him because of past sins. We claim Christ is our Lord, but do not believe that the power of his grace can supersede it. We walk in our sins enslaved to them. Yet do not believe in the power of his grace to free us from them. And many of us in here have prayed and prayed and prayed to be released from certain sins and still walk in them, still struggle with them, and begin to say, surely God is not going to free me from this or can't or won't or whatever. But the Bible promises us that the power of grace has been unleashed through Jesus and that this grace is working in us and through us. Because of who God is. 
First John chapter three says this, how, uh, see how great the kind of love, see how great is the love that he has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Know these two things. Now when we talk about justification, when you talk about justified, we all say, I want that. I want to be able to approach God as though I'd never sinned. And then we say grace, we say, but not that way. Let me come before him with some pride. Let me come before him with something that says I did the right thing. When the Bible teaches us that's not true. If we cast ourselves upon grace, we will find the glory of who God is. If we come to God saying, I'm pretty much relying on grace, but I've also relied on the two things I did right in my life. We'll find out how truly far sin is punished. Grace is bigger and wilder than you've imagined. It's not just God going, well, you're pretty good, so I'm going to help you the rest of the way. Grace is God seeing Greg Pinkner, a murderer at heart, a luster, an adulterer at heart, foul-mouthed, angry, hateful, um, generally rude, okay, always rude, uh, cusser, um, coveter, broken every one of the Ten Commandments since I've been standing up here, except for the Sabbath one because it's not Saturday. Um, you're thinking, wait a minute, Sabbath is Sunday. No, you don't even know when it is. You're in bigger trouble than me. Um, <laughs> in my flesh, in who Greg Pinkner is, is the most evil person that's ever walked the face of the planet. Okay? On the day of judgment, if all our actions are shown before God, you're going to see me and think, that was the biggest hypocrite. Surely he was the devil's pawn. I say this a lot, and I get reports back from people that people think I'm joking. I'm not joking. When you see my actions played out before the entire universe, my secrets displayed before Christ Jesus, you're going to be disgusted that I ever had the audacity to stand up here and teach the Bible. And if I knew, if you knew about me what God knows about me, you'd never come to hear me teach the Bible. You would, in fact, try to stone me to death. And if I knew those things about you, I would stone you to death. You would try. I would be successful. But before heaven, before God, I assure you, I am the devil himself. I promise you that. The better you get to know me, you're not going to see me the more righteous. You may think, wow, but he's really godly. I bet he's fun to hang out with. Get to know me for a while. It'll take you about 15 minutes to go, okay. Because I am evil to the core. And I am praying and living with every breath I have, hopefully, that this is true. That I have been justified by grace. That it is a gift of God to me that I cannot understand. And if it's true, I'm going to cling to it. I will cling to it with everything I have. That's the gospel. There's hope in Christ for those who will seek him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we praise you for the gift of grace that has come in Christ Jesus. And Father, while we are still skirting around the issue a little bit, next week it will come clear 
that it is Christ and Christ alone. That He is our glory and our hope and our joy. And Father, I pray that you remind us this week as we go forward the depths to which Christ had to sink in order to become our righteousness. Father, as we walk in grace, I pray you remember, you remind us uh, to pay attention to the words of Martin Luther when he wrote a commentary on this verse which said, The gift was free to us, but it was not free to him. That there was a price paid. And Father, remind us of the grace of Christ, that we may walk in it and rejoice. Father, I ask that you be with us this week in all things, but especially remind us the gift of grace that justifies us and the gift of grace that calls us to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.